0: The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we'd go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Coming up on the Behind the Mic Podcast, Super Wildcard Weekend is now over. And we must remember, teams with a bye and home field advantage don't always win it all. A team from the first weekend has a chance at that trophy, too just to ask the 1980 Oakland Raiders. You're behind the mic with Michael Neal Jr. All right, we're back on schedule. It's Tuesday night, people. I got all my papers, you hear them? I got my papers ready, let's get to it. NFL historians and lovers of sports history, welcome in. This show is for all of you. Everybody that's listening, everybody has an ear to hear what I have to say to you. It's cool if you already know this stuff, because congratulations if you do. But there's always someone else who does it. This show exists for the sole purpose, for those who do not know as much about NFL history. So I am here to enlighten, teach and learn. It is the Behind the Mic Podcast. I am your host, Michael Neal Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Go to bellyupsports.com, click on it. Check us out, the stories, the other shows, the merch, the writers, all of it. And You catch us on our home base of Megaphone. Also, the favorites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. Getting right to it. The playoffs, right? Takeaways from this weekend. The playoffs are just different. You know the other team has to win or they're going to the house, period. It's what I like to call the playoff couch. And as a fan, you never want your team on that playoff couch watching like everybody else. And somebody's got to lose, though, even if you're the favorite. Let's get to it. It's the AFC-NFC wildcard round rundown. Saturday, AFC Browns, Texas. Joe Flacco. In his career, 5-0 in the wild card round. Of course, that was with the Ravens, right? And according to Adam Schefter of ESPN, seven road wins in his playoff career. One more would move him in front of Tom Brady for the most in NFL history. So, after the first quarter, I'm thinking this is coming down to the end. They're going back and forth here. Houston led 10-7 after one. Then in the second quarter, briefly, Flacco and the Browns retook the lead at 14-10. And, of course, on their way out of the grocery store, their bag bottomed out before they got to the car. That great Cleveland defense gave up C.J. Stroud touchdown passes numbers two and three before halftime, and the Browns were down 10 points. D'Amico Ryan's defense, on the other hand, for the Texans, did not disappoint. It's to be noted, as great as Joe Flacco has been over that five star he was four and one in his starts, right? As great as he has been, he did throw eight interceptions to go along with those League leading 13, 13, excuse me, touchdown passes during that span. Well, back to back pick sixes in the playoffs do not help at all. And Stroud became the youngest quarterback in history to win a playoff game, throwing for that 274 yards to go along with his three touchdowns. And you know, the game is over when the backup is taking snaps in the fourth quarter. Texans 45, Browns 14, Dolphins Chiefs. It was cold. <laughs> there were signs left and right. Uh, from Chiefs fans that would say things like, I wish it was colder. The fourth coldest game in NFL history was minus four at Arrowhead Stadium this past Saturday night, and I felt bad for anybody who had to cover that game. Anyway, Taylor Swift, she shows up in her Kelsey custom-made jacket. It was designed by 49ers fullback, Kyle uh, Juszczyk's wife, Kristen, designs by Kristen. Yeah, one thing, though, I did not know was that the Miami Dolphins haven't won a playoff game since 2000. I didn't know that. And the quest continues. The one thing I would not say is that Miami was not built to play in the cold. It just, I guess they kind of just, it felt that way. But they run the football really successfully pretty much all year long. They had like a two, three-headed monster. But it was on a milk carton on Saturday night. Speaking of the 49ers, Raheem Mostert, who used to play for San Francisco, he actually shared the regular season league lead in touchdowns from scrimmage with Christian McCaffrey. They both had 21. Could not get things going on the ground. He only had 33 yards. Devon Achan, six carries, nine yards. Yeah, nine. And it was like they were you know, forced to throw the football. And Tariq Hill, speaking of throwing the football, his first game back in Kansas City, outside of that 53-yard touchdown reception, my guy only had four catches for nine yards. Again, nine. You already know the defense was uh for miami was missing half of their starters with all that being said kansas city they still only scored two touchdowns i guess that's pretty good considering what they had done during the regular season not the same offenses uh well i mean yeah last year they won it all but uh, that was just one year sample size (laughs) this year not so much but there was uh there's some hope there hopefully next year it'll only get better but those two touchdowns were plenty. Isaiah Pacheco continues to run the football like he's going to explode, and rookie sensation Rasheed Rice—he is their number one receiver outside of Jason Kelsey, right? Outside of, uh, excuse me, Travis Kelsey. We'll talk about Jason in a minute. But uh, he caught eight passes from Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes for 130 yards and a touchdown. And the fact that two attack of our Lord that hold off his offense—they couldn't get the ball moving on the regular like they did during the regular season. That credit goes to the Kansas City defense. I love those Chiefs con- cornerbacks, starting with Sneed and then uh, Chris Jones. I mean, he earned his money. That defense, they, they play good defense, period, period. They did their job. Oh, Harrison Bucker, he accounted for 14 of Kansas City's points and was a Wendy's 4 for 4 on his field goals. The Chiefs will keep their long johns on when they go to Buffalo this coming up weekend. Miami is now on vacation. Chiefs 26, Dolphins 7. Sunday, of course at noon, supposed to be Steelers Bills, a little bit too much of that flaky white stuff in the seats in Buffalo. They move it to Monday afternoon. Instead, Sunday afternoon, we fast forward to 3-30, Packers, Cowboys. I was not expecting that. What I was expecting was for Dallas to play a lot better than they did on both sides of the ball i don't want to say the cowboys came in with a big head but they kind of played like it like they were expecting to win yeah i understand that but they just they weren't ready they, they were not prepared for what green bay was going to literally throw at them but let me start with dallas speaking of throwing the football that prescott has to throw stay away from turnovers right he throws two interceptions right a- and multiple picks in that same game spells doom plus he was sacked four times running game was so-so i can't count Prescott taking off and running uh, uh Pollard he only averaged what under four yards he carry. so they had no running game they were just having to throw the football they were down the whole time they got in a deep hole quick it was 14 to nothing in the first quarter. I'm like oh wow <laughs> but the passing numbers for Prescott they're blown up you know for the whole offense because they were down the entire game Dak threw the football 60 times. He completed 41. He had a 403-yard day. He threw three touchdowns, of course. That's after throwing two picks. One of them, which was a pick six, returned by Darnell Savage. And then Jair Alexander should have had one of his own. He stepped out of bounds. C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, they had over 100 yards receiving. Mm, ho-hum. Jake Ferguson caught all three of Dak's touchdowns and had 10 catches himself. But it was simply a mirage. Defensively, makes no sense. This is where the Packers come in. Matt Lafleur had those boys ready to play. Again, Jordan Love, he had three touchdowns too. <laughs> but point blank period, he's the man, and they did that Dallas defense dirty. Aaron Jones had 118 yards, three touchdowns himself. They could not. Dallas could not tackle, nor could they cover a bed with a sheet. Romero Job, Dob, excuse me, he torches Dallas for 151 yards receiving, and I can still smell the Cowboys secondary if you completely missed the game wasn't as close nearly as close as the final score would indicate Green Bay will need to play the same or better this weekend in San Francisco Dallas will probably bust this team into a thousand pieces Jerry Jones is very impatient you've seen him in the box didn't you this was supposed to be the year ouch Packers 48 Cowboys 32 there's a great picture I saw on YouTube I think not YouTube but I think it was on Twitter or Facebook. I think they're two brothers, and uh, one of the two brothers is got cowboy garb on while his mom and, and his brother have on Packers stuff. The one brother with the Packers stuff, his head is literally back laughing, mouth wide open, while the other brother with the Cowboys jersey on is in his mother's Packers-laden lap. That is just, just speaks volumes. Anyway, Sunday Night Football Rams, line storylines were just too easy to see. Two quarterbacks that basically were traded from one another. They traded places. Matt Stafford, who was the one good thing about Detroit in all his years playing for the Lions outside of Megatron. Jared Goff, who was the first pick in the 2016 draft for the Rams, got L.A. to the Super Bowl, but Stafford got the ring with the Rams that Goff did not. All I have to say is my own attitude going into this game. I did not mind seeing Stafford lose at his old home because he's got a ring already. We want to see. I want to see the Detroit Lions win a playoff game. That's the fan in me talking. But Detroit, they held a 21-17 lead at halftime, but this was a good game. The Rams, Stafford, they showed exactly why they were in the playoffs. Stafford throws for 367 by game's in, has two touchdowns, no turnovers. Puka Nakua, the great rookie, uh, caught nine for a buck 81 in a touchdown. I'm still not convinced he's a rookie. But um, in the Rams defense, they harassed Golf a little bit. They had three sacks on them and six quarterbacks hits. And the Lions defense on the other hand, they had to step their game up big time because it's like they could not stamp, stop the Rams offense. Fourth quarter, though, is when they had to do it. Rams down by one. L.A. starts their drive with 7.18 left to go. Third and 14, the Lions defense came up with a big stop. Stafford trying to throw the football into the cooler. Incomplete. Rams punt, two minutes left to go in the game. The Lions need one more first down in order to run the clock out because L.A. only had one timeout left. Second and nine from their own 32, Goff threads the needle to Amara St. Brown, picks up 11 yards, the biggest first down of the season to this point. Three nil downs and the Lions fans are crying everywhere. (laughs) It was great. They have won a playoff game for the first time in 32 years. As the Rams are now off to the house, Detroit will now host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this coming Sunday. Good luck, Dan Campbell. Go bite some Buccaneer ankles. Lions 24, Rams 23, what a game. Monday night, well, let's go to Monday afternoon, AFC wild card, Steelers, Bills, not gonna lie, didn't expect Pittsburgh to win this game. Josh Allen, though, gives some people hope because the way he turns the football over. No turnovers last night, zero, zero. And that's the reason why they won that game. Pittsburgh, they were punting way too much early on, for my taste, second half was much different. The whole game, Pittsburgh could not run the football, mostly because they were behind most of the night, But Mason Rudolph, that offense, they picked up some vital first downs, yes, but I can't help but wonder what if, when they're down by 14 to nothing, if Rudolph connects with Deontay Johnson instead of throwing the pick to Kair Elam. They're at the Buffalo four-yard line. What if they score there? But here's the thing. Josh Allen, he has that 52-yard run for the touchdown. I'm about ready to throw my hands in the air as a Pittsburgh fan. But Pittsburgh, they respond with a touchdown pass. Rudolph does get to Deontay Johnson before the half. Third quarter, Boswell kicks a field goal. Tyler Bass turns turns around and kicks a field goal for Buffalo. Fourth quarter, Rudolph throws a touchdown to Calvin Austin. I feel a lot better because now Pittsburgh's only down seven. It's 24-17. Well, then came that Khalil (laughs) Shakir touchdown reception. If you did not see it, it upsets me. I'm an old school guy. you got to wrap up. As a defender you have to wrap up you try to tackle somebody high like that and the dude just puts a hand down spins up out of it and refused to go down and he scores on top of that well i mean that's your own fault that's why pittsburgh is now on vacation and buffalo is hosting the chiefs this week bills 31 steelers 17 in the last game monday night football eagles buccaneers nfc wild card no aj brown big dom is back on the sidelines and then after the game, you find out Jason Kelsey is retiring. Didn't I expect that as far as this game? But there's a reason why they say the playoffs are an entirely different season. But let's just be real, some teams are still playing in that same funk that ended their season or that they ended their season with. Case in point, Philadelphia. I told you last week, since Big Dom was ejected from the sidelines of that 49ers game, the Eagles have one win in the past seven weeks. Nothing changed on Monday night. If you blinked between the first and, and midway through the second quarter, you open your eyes, Temple was already up 13 to nothing. Jalen Hurst throws a touchdown to Dallas Goddard. They failed on a two-point conversion, surprisingly enough, before halftime. They cut the lead to 16 to 9, but that was all the scoring that uh the field, Philadelphia Eagles would do for the rest of their season. And honestly, did you really believe they were gonna come back? Be real with me. You know, after an exchange of punts. In the second half to open up the second half tampa they outscored philly 16 to nothing two more touchdown passes from baker mayfield one went to trey palmer another to chris godwin gave mayfield three on the night to go along with 337 passing yards it's not how you do it you know it really is when and when baker mayfield does this in the playoffs I mean, that, that's when you need it, right? Jalen Hurts, that dislocated finger, and that offense, they couldn't get nothing going. It's been like that for seven weeks now. Uh, no running game. Devontae Smith was the only real weapon the Eagles had. Eight catches for a buck, 48, but they kept him out of the end zone. Not bad, though, Baker Mayfield, for a quarterback that has played for eight different head coaches on four teams in six years. Tampa moves on to the divisional round. Buccaneers, 32, Eagles, Nine coming up next. The wild card round is now over. So who's left? Of course, Baltimore and San Francisco. They're waiting for the lowest remaining seed because they're week off that they earned. Right. Well, now you got Houston, Kansas City, Green Bay, Detroit, Buffalo, and Tampa. They've moved on to that divisional round, and everybody else is now on the playoff couch. But all these teams have a shot to win the Super Bowl. I'm not even talking about just Baltimore and San Francisco. All the rest of them do too. The 1980 Oakland Raiders are proof that sometimes all you have to do is get in. In 1980, the Oakland Raiders became the first wildcard team in NFL playoff history to win a championship. What does that mean? Football for dummies. You know the yellow book? This, I'm just going to do that. Football for dummies. If you're a wild card team and you made the playoffs, that simply means a couple of things. Well, one, you didn't win your division. You probably came in second. Some people come in third, right? Uh, you came in. You did not win your division. And some teams barely make it in, while others have a winning record. Plenty of nine and seven teams have made it in. This is before the 18-week, the 17-game schedule. Plenty of nine and seven teams have made it, and then some were actually eight and eight. I mean, you see the Packers... And the Buccaneers being nine and eight and going on into the playoffs, right? Um, you had some eight and eight teams; they were five hundred. And then, then you got the twenty ten Seattle Seahawks and the twenty twenty Washington Commanders. They got in with a seven and nine record. Remember, the Seahawks beat the uh, the Saints that year. The, um, the the crotch grab into the end zone, Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, that that they were seven and nine so that was the year before they became great but um not all these teams were exactly the nfl uh, elite or the best teams that season and some of them actually were dallas cowboys but what is significant is that going back to 1978 the nfl extended the playoffs by adding two more teams going from eight to ten that meant a wild card team would have to win an extra game for the first time this is according to thesportsnotebook.com. And before we go any further into that, you have to have an understanding of where the Raiders were prior to the 1980 season. So see this, kick to music. Between 1960 and 1979, the Oakland Raiders had the NFL's highest winning percentage. They won from the time of their inception to prior to the 1980 season, 64% of their games they won. This is followed by the Dallas Cowboys at 62%. The Dolphins at sixty. Then you had the Browns, the Colts, Rams, Vikings, Packers, Chiefs, and then the Steelers. Well, uh, America's game, Super Bowl. And you see NFL films. The nineteen eighty Oakland Raiders. You know they won it all. Well, um, going into that whole documentary, they do break it down. They say from nineteen sixty seven to nineteen seventy seven, and I'll, I'll give you even more information. They won nine division titles, and they had a Super Bowl tw- title, right? Um, Check this out. So they at least made the conference title game 9 of 11 seasons between 67 and 77. Of course, they had a lot of downs before they had the one up in 1976 when they won it all in uh, the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. They beat beat up on the Minnesota Vikings. Super Bowl II, they lose to the Packers. Then they go to -to back-to-back AFL championships. They lose to the Jets and the Chiefs then the first AFC championship game against the Colts, they lost that too in 1970. This is after the merger. So all four of those teams won it all, by the way. So you lost to the champions. 71, they made no playoffs. This is the third year of John Madden. Madden got there in 1969. Um, 72, divisional round, they lost to Pittsburgh in the immaculate reception game. And of course, they go to three straight AFC title games and lost to the eventual champion every year from 73 to 75. Uh, the Dolphins and then the Steelers twice they won it in 76 and in 77 they lose to the Broncos into the, uh in the AFC title game 78 and 79 again no playoffs all right and I like to think of it like this because you have to look at the construction of the team 1978 it was like the year of the exodus in 1980 the year after that it was like the yard sale so in 78 you had all of these people that retired a lot of hall of famers as a matter of fact and when I'm looking at it, five, six, seven, eight, nine Hall of Famers are involved in this. Some of them were still on the team; others were they departed. 78, the retirees, head coach John Madden, wide receiver Fred Biletnikoff, and cornerback Willie Brown to go along with uh, Clarence Davis, who was a star in that '76 Super Bowl. He ran for what 137 yards and averaged almost 10 yards a carry. Then Otis Sistrunk and Willie Hall, two line, two uh, defensive players that they. You know, they were very important. They retired. And then pretty much the entire secondary turned over by 1980. Don't exactly remember what happened with Skip Thomas, Dr. Death, and George Atkinson. Not sure, but they were gone, all right? Traded away was Jack Tatum. They sent him, along with Ken Stabler. This is all in 1980. uh, They sent them to the Houston Oilers. Pretty much, Stabler was traded straight up for quarterback Dan Pastorini. Uh, Dave Casper six games into the 1980 season, they trade their Hall of Fame tight end to the uh, Houston Oilers. Not to mention, in 1980, Buffalo received Phil Villapiano for wide receiver Don Chandler, uh, who actually led the Oakland Raiders in receptions and touchdown receptions. He had 10 touchdown receptions in 1980. And the crazy part is I read um, what uh, Tom Flores, the coach at the time, we'll get to him in a second, he talked about the story with Bill Villapiano being traded away. Al Davis calls up to check on Villapiano. He had gotten hurt, hurt the knee back in 1977 in Pittsburgh. He wasn't really the same yet, but he was getting a lot better, right? Well, he asked Phil what he thought about Don Chandler, the receiver for the Buffalo Bills. And Phil's like, man, I love this dude. It's like, well, you know, uh, and he's like, you should go get this guy. And so uh, Al Davis says, well, you know, that that that's we're gonna do that, but there's there's one thing they want, and Phil is like, what? <laughs> they want you, and he's like, no 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 no, don't do that. Of course, Al Davis pulled the trigger. He sends Phil piano off, brings Don Chandler in, and that was that. Um, was still there with the Raiders from that '76 championship game with uh, well, the championship team pete banizak who pretty much led them in rushing for the most part anyway at fullback cliff branch hall of fame wide receiver ted Hendricks, the stork hall of fame defensive uh linebacker or defensive end whatever you want to call him he was everything and then john patusack twos was a rookie defensive end back in 76 on the offensive line three fifths of their line was still there hall of famers on the left side art shell and gene upshaw Dave Dalby, who had taken over for the Hall of Famer Jim Otto, you know, some years before, was still there going strong. Well, the two guys that started along with them on the right side, right guard George Bueller and right tackle John Vela, they lost their jobs to the new starters, Mickey Marvin and Henry Lawrence. Uh, Bueller ends up in Cleveland in 78, while Vela ends up with Minnesota in 1980. Then there's some new blood. In the draft, in 1977, you got uh, about four guys one of them ended up coming back to the Raiders by the way uh, I had to read about later uh in the second round and this is through the draft Mike Davis safety out of Colorado in the second round fifth round they got Lester Hayes uh from out of Texas A&M cornerback Rod Martin was a 12th round draft choice at linebacker out of USC he's actually traded to san francisco after a couple of weeks and uh he ended up being released by the 49ers and ends up back with signing back with the raiders 1980 you have rookie linebacker drafted in the second round matt millen out of penn state kenny king also was a new uh, running back in the system 79 he was actually drafted by houston who ended up trading him to oakland in 1980 he was a pro bowler for the raiders in that first season with them and then there's tom flores he takes over for John Madden, uh, they did an internal hire. He was an assistant coach, and I think he coached wide receivers, as a matter of fact, and he became the coach in 1979. And then there's Jim Plunkett. Jim Plunkett, who was the number one overall pick for the New England Patri- Patriots back in 1971, um, he was the Heisman Trophy winner from Stanford. Never could get the Patriots to the playoffs. He was traded to San Francisco in 1976, and then Al Davis ends up picking him up in 1978 for $100 off of waivers because the 49ers they were done with them they cut bait with them too um you know this is the year that a lot of Raider greats would end up packing their bags 1980 Plunkett was the backup to Dan Pastorini who had been selected two slots after him in 1971 during training camp Plunkett went to Flores and told him that he wanted to be traded Flores basically talked him out of it and told him basically that you will, you will be better staying with us, and we'll be a better team if you stay. And the thing is, Plunk, he wasn't playing well. And according to Flores, when the Raiders saw him during the preseason with the 49ers, he thought that his arm was shot, just straight up. So when you get to the season itself. So you got the players, all right? You got the base of the players. Um, they were picked last in the AFC West preseason. That's the, the, the prognosticators, the writers or whatnot. They were picking the Raiders to be last. Why? Because they had lost so much. And, and think of it like this. Don't think of they had some hall of famers still left on their team. You know, they lost John Madden, the coach, and then Tom Flores. I mean, just think about it right now. You lose a lot of your greats, right? Let's look back at this paper. You lose off your Super Bowl team, you lose your head coach, uh, one of your best wide receivers is going into the Hall of Fame. You lost pretty much your entire secondary. You lost one of your one one of two good backs. And you lose most of your defense. I mean, what what are you supposed? And you missed the playoffs the previous two years. Well, I mean, <laughs> that that's where it was. Well, let's go ahead and let's fast forward to Week Five. All right, Week Five, October fifth. They're playing at home against Kansas City. They go into that game with a two and two record. Pastorini suffers a, a fractured leg uh, against the Chiefs, and it didn't start off very good at all anyway. Plunkett actually comes in, and because this ha- this happens a little bit early, he ends up throwing 52 passes. He's only 20 of 52. Throws for 238 yards and two touchdowns, but five interceptions. Five. I mean, he was he was not good. He wasn't really good. Um, and they end up losing the game 31-17, and the Chiefs weren't exactly that great. Uh, the Raiders fall to two and two so the thing is if you go to the next week things start to change a little bit on offense but mostly on defense after these next two weeks though uh they would pull off six wins in a row started in that week six they beat eric Coriel and the the Vaunted san diego chargers 38 to 24 in the shootout uh they had a 24 to 10 lead in the third quarter and fouts actually tied it at 24 with a run yard run of his own but then you had Kenny King takes off for an 89-yard touchdown run. Ty Christensen, he uh, recovers a muffed kickoff in the end zone, and basically that puts them over the top. So and they hold on to win that game. Week seven, Monday Night Football. They're playing against the defending Super Bowl champions, the Pittsburgh Steelers at Three Rivers Stadium. They beat them in a the shootout, 45-34. to 34. And just as a note, the Steelers did not make the playoffs that year. And so they missed it. They were going for one for the thumb, right? <laughs> and it just didn't happen for my, my Steelers. Plunk, he goes out. He throws 247 yards and three touchdowns. Branch scores two of those and has 100 yards receiving. And Ted Hendricks gets two interceptions and they beat up on Bradshaw defensively. But it's like, okay, we, we got to cut down on on the scoring fast forward to week 12. uh the raiders are now eight and three uh they've won six in a row they're playing at the vet in philly the eagles are the favorite in the nfc to win it all in front of the cowboys remember the cowboys didn't have roger Stahlbach anymore he had retired and now they're quarterbacked by danny white well you know they're pretty good but the eagles are actually better up under their new head coach dick vermeil and vermeil had them at 10 and one. They're down three to nothing. Okay, the Raiders are. Tony Franklin field goal. Plunk at the branch. They throw an 86-yard touchdown. They connect. They're up seven to three. It's the fourth quarter now. And they still have this lead. But Ron Jaworski, who just avoids getting sacked, he hits uh who's the running back, Leroy Harris for a 43-yarder. Then he connects with uh, then it leads to a Wilbert Montgomery, the running back for the Eagles, a three-yard touchdown run, and that put them up. Which ended up being the final 10 to 7, and that was the first loss for the Raiders in a long time. But the key to that game was that Jim Plunkett was sacked eight times, even behind that that pretty good offensive line. I would say they he got sacked eight times. Now some like uh, when you watch America's game, you hear um, Gene Upshaw talk about it, and he's like, "Well, maybe he was just dropping back too far, <laughs> and and they felt that he was dropping back too deep." Because he was hurried by the rush. You know, the Eagles had some pretty good guys, and it started with um, Carl Harrison uh on that defensive line. And, you know, those guys, they they did harass Plunkett pretty good. But when it came down to both of these teams, uh, the Raiders would finish the season three and one and they would end up with a eleven and five record. Philly, coincidentally, who started off ten and one and went to eleven and one, well, they would only win one of their last three games or uh, last four games they finished one in three to have a 12-4 record still they were favored to go into the super bowl from the nfc side of the of the, of the rack so but by season's in, you had guys like lester hayes this guy was a first team all pro he picked off 13 passes okay to lead the league and i think he had set or, uh, tied a title record and four more though he would have broken it four more uh, yeah, 14 was was the uh, it, it was the NFL record. He had four more callbacks because of penalties. And he had 273 yards in returns and only one touchdown, which is surprising to me. Ted Hendricks, he was also an all-pro. He had eight and a half sacks for the season and three interceptions. Uh, and then also, on top of that, um, Archelle on the offensive line, he did make another Pro Bowl. Well, when it got down to the playoffs, you know they had to have a strong finish, and Plunkett and the Raiders. Plunkett would finish with a nine two record as the starter, leading uh, the Raiders to you know some some <laughs> some memorable playoff games. Right, so we'll start here. The AFC Wild Card. Those Houston Oilers that they did all this trading with. I'd read in one part uh, portion um, of some of my studying where the Oilers were favored. In the AFC, and I'm I'm trying to figure out why. I mean, I know Dan Pastorini was the quarterback for two of those playoff losses, including the AFC Championship game uh, games with playing against Pittsburgh, and they lost both of them. Well, you, know, you trade him away for Ken Stabler, and Ken Stabler was throwing 30 interceptions the year that he after uh, the year before he was traded, so he was pretty bad. And he was the highest paid player. Al Davis said, "Well, you got to blame somebody, and it's, we got to start with the quarterback." <laughs> But the Oilers were favored, and they were favored in this game by one point. Notice that there's a theme here. They go to Oakland. All right, the Raiders' defense got seven sacks on their old quarterback Stabler and two interceptions. And in the fourth quarter, a pick six by Lester Hayes. You know, did them did them in twenty-seven to seven. Got their win. Plunkett hit those two touchdown passes. Was the best day completion percentage wise at all? I'm just gonna tell you. But they got it done, 27 to seven at home. Then they have to travel to Cleveland. AFC divisional round. The cardiac kids are favored by three and a half at home. It was like one of the coldest. We talked about the Kansas City game. Well, what the temperature was zero and it was somewhere between minus 20 degree wind chill, right, so that's pretty bad. And you have to understand if you didn't listen to my cardiac kids uh, episode, they had played, Cleveland had 12 games that were decided by seven points or less. And they were nine and three in those games. They had the MVP quarterback in Brian Seif, future Hall of Famers like uh, Ozzie Newsom. The defense featured all pros like Lyle Alzado, who would eventually play for the Raiders. Lyle Alzado, Clay Matthews, and Ron Bolton, the defensive back. So, you know, it, it was crazy. And Bolton actually scored the first points on a 42-yard pick six off of Jim Plunkett. Well, Van Egan, he come, they come back and they have a pair of uh, one-yard touchdown runs from him, and Cleveland basically countered with two Don Cockroft field goals, all right? Remember the name. Fourth quarter, another Van Egan touchdown run. Oakland led 14 to 12, right, in the fourth quarter. There's 222 left. They're 85 yards away. Cleveland drives all the way to the Oakland 13-yard line. And then their head coach, Sam Ratigliano, calls the play. Red slot right halfback stay 88 or what we like to call this game red right 88 sorry cleveland fans instead of a field goal uh that would have won the game potentially they end up going for it why well Cockcroft actually Um, he suffered from sciatica in his back. Very painful. I've had that happen to me before. He had missed two field goals in the first half and the extra point after the Ron Bolton pick six. So he was struggling a little bit. So he's going to put the ball in the hands of his MVP, who did not have a good day himself throwing the football. But this drive, I guess he was hot and they wanted to stick with him, right? Sight throws to Newsom, uh, who seemed to be open and think the wind might have caught a little bit. Picked off by the defensive back with the worst hands on the team, Mike Davis. Yes, that draft pick in the second round out of Colorado ball game. And uh, they move on to the AFC Championship when they faced off against the San Diego Chargers. They were, again, four-point favorites, four-point dogs the Raiders were, let's just say that. And they had split the regular season with Air Correale. And, of course, they had the team. They had the All Pros. They had the guys, the receivers. They had Kellen Winslow, John Jefferson, and Charlie Joyner. All three had a thousand yards receiving for the for the year. Dan Fouts he threw for over 4,700 yards and 30 touchdowns. They weren't scared. You know, defensively they had All Pros like Fred Dean and Gary Johnson, who had seven, uh, who had 10 and a half and 17 and a half sacks apiece. But Oakland they built a 28 to seven lead there in San Diego. Third quarter though. <laughs> Uh, that San Diego offense, you know, they just couldn't keep them off the field. Uh, at one point, they came, they was coming back, but they had to run the football to keep that offense off the off the field. Between Mark Van Egan and Kenny King, they actually chewed up the literal final six minutes and 43 seconds of the game. And I think it was funny how Ted Hendricks apparently went over while Flores is talking to Plunkett and he's talking over his shoulders like, look, Y'all got to stay on the field or, or score or something because we can't stop them. <laughs> and Flores is like, "Get out of here!" You know. <laughs> but uh, they got the win 34 to 27. They're going to the Super Bowl. How about that? You know, you, you don't really figure that. And the Super Bowl 15, it's in New Orleans. Uh, the opponent ends up being the Week 12 rematch against the Philadelphia Eagles, who they beat Dallas 20 to seven in the NFC Championship uh, and pretty much off of Wilbert Montgomery, who was a beast as a running back, 194 yards rushing. Tom Flores, uh, quick story, he ends up being sick that Monday, that first day that they were there. He couldn't eat. He was up all night. Tuesday, he has the press conference. He's not really feeling it. Then they got practice at Tulane uh, afterwards. Well, you know, he introduces himself uh, to the press and they wonder why he's doing that. He's kind of Telling a dry joke. But the thing is, is like there were, it's like he was being ignored as the head coach. Uh there was more press about Al Davis and of course Pete Rosell, the commissioner, because of the whole feud with them. uh, Al Davis wanted to move his team, saying, I'm going to move them whether you allow me to do it or not, whether you check that box or not. But anyway, uh, they go, he goes to the press conference afterwards the buses actually left him and two players he has to take a cab to Tulane who doesn't even know how to get there how are you a cabbie in a city and don't know how to get you should be able to get everywhere that's just my thought process and they didn't have GPS back then I guess right uh you get to the Superdome uh January the 25th 1981 the Superdome has the big giant yellow bow on the outside of it. It's 80 feet long and 30 feet wide over the main entrance. And it was commemorating the return of 52 American hostages that were held at the time uh, for 444 days. They were from the American Embassy in Tehran and that was taken over by some Iranians, right? Well, you know, that that was, and there were like a couple thousand bows, yellow bows that was given out to people too. But um, first quarter, you know, they kicked this thing off. The first drive, fourth play, Ron Jaworski. Yes, Jaws, who used to work for ESPN. His first pass gets picked off. And it was a play-action pass to his tight end, uh, John Spagnola, picked off by Rod Martin. Yes, that 12th-round linebacker that was sent away to the 49ers who ended up cutting him two weeks later and ends up being back with the Raiders. They actually got cut a couple times from what I read, but – it took the raiders eight plays to score on a two-yard touchdown pass from Plunkett to cliff branch then they exchanged punts third drive third down to 10 and this probably was the killer they tried to tie the game the, the eagles did jaworski throws a 40-yard touchdown seemingly to wide receiver rodney parker but harold Mar- carmichael hall of fame wide receiver was flagged for a legal motion and third and 15, they ended up punting. I read a, a crazy fact on Rodney Parker. I didn't know Rodney Parker only played for them for two years. He actually went to Tennessee State University right here in Nashville. And even uh, an even better story was that at Super Bowl four, he, he's from New Orleans. He's playing in the Super Bowl in New Orleans. And then the last time that he showed up to a Super Bowl game was he was an usher. Uh, in on the He was at the bench uh, right behind the, was it the Kansas City Chiefs so that was pretty cool You know, he ended up getting to see the players he was 16 years old at the time still in high school so that I thought that was a pretty cool story um, but then the next drive the next drive Oakland, uh, third floor Plunkett gets a ball just over the hands of Herman Edwards yes that Herman Edwards another guy that works for, works for ESPN once again uh, and he goes up the sideline to Kenny King, 80 yards, which ended up being a Super Bowl record for a touchdown pass, 80-yard touchdown. And the Raiders are suddenly up 14 to nothing on the favored Philadelphia Eagles. Now keep this in mind, again, the Raiders haven't been favored in any of these games. None of them. Um, second quarter, Tony Franklin kicks their first points, a 30-yard field goal, and it would have been some more points for the Eagles. Franklin kicks off and then the Raiders' return man Keith Moody fumbles the ball after a 19-yard return. Rod Martin's there to save their bacon, falls on the ball. And then, uh, was it, Chris Barr misses a 45-yarder. Franklin, he uh, attempts a 28-yarder. Ted Hendricks blocks that one with 54 seconds left to go before the half, and the Raiders go in to halftime with a 14-3 lead. Uh, and not to mention the fact before that, uh, that field goal, Uh, that was blocked Jaworski overthrew Parker in the end zone another opportunity he was he beat uh, McKinney who was the I don't remember his first name the corner on the other side and he had him beat he overthrows the ball ouch 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 well second half opening the drive Oakland just was not playing with these guys they only took six plays to go 77 yards and then again it was Plunkett to Branch for 29 yards and another touchdown he outjumps the rookie cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles, Roynell Young, and they're up 21-3. to The offensive line was the key to this game, according to Tom Flores. Flores said they had to fix some things with the Eagles blitzing and the way that they came at them in Week 12. That was the key. To this game, as opposed to what happened the first game around. Football is a game, uh, whether it's at halftime or the next game, it's a game of adjustments, and that's exactly what made Flores a Hall of Fame head coach. You know, they had that those eight sacks, they only had one all day, on uh, <laughs> on plunking up. I'm, I'm just imagining this one flag that was thrown on one of those Eagles linemen. Don't even know what his name was. If you watch the uh, Super Bowl memories like I do uh, or, and did. He throws the flag back at the referee because he was flagged a thing for roughing the pass. <laughs> they were frustrated. They really were. Uh, and then the Eagles' next drive, Rod Martin picks off Jaws again. He ties a Super Bowl record with that one. And that led to another Chris, Ball fe- uh, Chris Barr field goal and a 24 3 lead. Philly, uh, they finally got on the board with a touchdown pass. But Plunkett it should have, or probably could have, rather throwing another one. They got all the way to Philadelphia's 17-yard line. And Herm Edwards, if he didn't make a great diving swat of a ball to Don Chandler, it would have been another one. Bar kicks another field goal, and that pretty much completed the scoring at 27-10. But it wasn't completely over because Rod Martin set a Super Bowl record with his third interception of Jaworski. And Jaworski on the day had four turnovers, which included a fumble, along with Martin picking him off three times. 27 to 10 win that i mean it was awesome uh, sometimes it just it just takes getting in and turning things around and this is what your backup quarterback whose career was supposedly finished uh plunkett ends up being super bowl mvp he throws for 261 yards and three touchdowns has no uh no interceptions no turnovers of any kind and plunkett if you go back to the regular season he finished with a 9-2 and record as the starter leading Oakland to four playoff wins against the Oilers, the Browns, the Chargers, and then another upset victory against the Eagles. They were not favored in any of these games. Oakland became the first wild card to win the Super Bowl, and Plunkett, who had already been the first Hispanic drafted number one overall, became the first Latino to win the Super Bowl and the game's MVP. Joe Cap was actually the first one to get to the Super Bowl back in Super Bowl 4. Rodney Parker was there to see it. Uh, But additionally, Tom Flores, who was the first Latino quarterback uh, to start in NFL history for the Raiders, ironically, became the first Latino head coach in history to win a Super Bowl championship as well. The 80 Raiders, they were the first, but not the only to win the Super Bowl as a wild card team. They, uh, there will be six others after them. The 97 Broncos, the 2000 Baltimore Ravens. Yes, they were a wild card team. The 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers, the 2007 Giants when they upset the the, uh, the Patriots. The, two, the 2010 Green Bay Packers and the 2020 Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A total of seven teams have won it all. Uh, and then, but you have the 99 Titans, the 92 Bills, the 85 Patriots and the 75 Cowboys. They all reached the Super Bowl at least, but they lost. It's not easy. So will there be an eighth this year? Texans, Chiefs, Packers, Lions, Bills, Buccaneers, they have a shot. They're there. That's it. References, thanks to ESPN.com, ProFootballReference.com, ProFootballHallOfFame.com, and this was an article entitled Wild Card Golden Nuggets. Also, a couple of books, <laughs> Cardiac Kids, the story of the 1980 Cleveland Browns by Jonathan Knight, America's Game, the NFL at 100, Jerry Rice and Randy O. Williams, other co-authors. Vintage Browns, a warm look back at the Cleveland Browns of the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and more. Terry Pluto, is the author. Tales from the Oakland Raiders sideline, a collection of the greatest Raiders stories ever told. This is Tom Flores with Matt Fulks. Uh, That's F-U-L-K-S. The Sporting News complete Super Bowl book, 1993 edition. Editors, Tom Diner, Tom Diner, I think I always say time. Tom Dinert, Joe Hoppel, and Dave Sloan. Also, a couple of uh, NFL films. NFL Super Bowl collection. Super Bowl 15 Raiders versus the Eagles, the Cinderella Super Bowl, and also NFL America's game, the Super Bowl champions, the story of the 1981 Raiders, excuse me, the 1980 Raiders, and finally, my eyes, ears, and brain. This has been the Behind the Mic Podcast. Again, I'm your host, Michael New Jr. This show is presented by Belly Up Sports, Belly Up Media, and we're all a part of the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network. Go to bellyupsports.com, click on it, check us out, and you can also check us out on our home base of Megaphone. That's M-E-G-A. P-H-O-N-E and the favorites Apple Podcasts Spotify Google Podcasts Amazon Music Stitcher iHeartRadio YouTube and anywhere you can find podcasts tell all your friends and family about this show or I will find your house I'm out